Hello and welcome to Supers on Screen, the superhero movie podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Roth, and today we're going to be talking about the 1990 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles live-action film. My guest today, from Memphis, Tennessee, artist, writer, and podcaster Chris Haley, and from Los Angeles, California, producer, director, and 90s pop culture enthusiast Raj Ravel. How are you guys doing today? Good. Thanks for having us. Today <laughs> we are here to talk about the first of three live-action, soon-to-be-four live-action movies from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles series based on the uh, creator-owned independent comic book series. I wanted to start, as we always do, by asking each of you guys how you first became acquainted with this movie and with and with the titular Turtles themselves. Chris Haley, I understand that you are a pretty massive Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fan and expert. Well, I mean, that is not the thing that I am mainly known for being a fan of on the internet, but it is certainly a thing that I am, uh, the Turtles and I have a long, uh, I started to say a long, you know, sorted history, but it's really like a long, happy history. Um, the movie specifically, I remember that I got to, see, the first time I got to see it, I was on a, uh, I was like a little, little kid and uh, I was like on a, you know, a boy scout kind of thing or something, whatever it is, like even below boy scout, like cub scouts or something was out on a thing for that, where it was supposed to be some big outdoor thing we were going to. And, uh, it got rained out. Like it started raining while we were in the middle of it. And we were just like soaking wet. And like the, the people, the adults that were in charge of us for this thing were like, well, everybody has been, uh, had their fun rained on uh, to make this up to you guys. We're going to take you to the movies to see the Ninja Turtle movie. And I just remember being like freezing cold from being soaking wet in the movie theater in the middle of the summer, which of course they've got the air conditioning on blast and uh, just being freezing, but so could not have been more excited to be seeing that movie. And then I remember it was like me and then before the movies even really good and over like that music playing at the end during the, the credits, it's like, we were the only people in the theater. So then like all of us, the like group of little kids that we were went down to the front of the theater to, of course, immediately start practicing our Ninja Turtle moves <laughs> as that music is playing. And we are just couldn't be more excited. I mean, like you literally, you couldn't have found a, uh, a more excited set of children. I mean, and just, I feel like the Ninja Turtles is like the perfect little boy formula, you know, like, this is a thing that is like so specifically well designed to even if the original ones like from like that the actual comic but the way it was put forth in like the cartoons and the movie just is like you couldn't come up with a better formula for something that you know that little kids especially like in that at that time would love so chris did the uh where did the uh the enjoyment of the movie where did that lead you to go to the cartoon or to the comics later or oh well i was i mean i remember like the you know when the 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 cartoon first came out as this like little mini series. It wasn't on like a set channel. It was just like a thing that ran, you know, which was, and this was, this was like a couple years early before the movie. I mean, cause like the, the turtles rise to meteoric popularity was very fast. Like from when that first cartoon hit to when they had their first movie was not that long is nothing, you know, like you do not see that kind of that quick of a turnaround for something to be just like a cultural phenomenon, uh, or a pop cultural phenomenon, at least, you know, that quickly, usually. So, Raj, um, you were you were born in the 90s. So I was born in 1990, actually, yeah. yeah, when the film was released. So when was your first encounter with this movie? Uh, I believe the end of 1992 with the FHE video, uh, VHS, video cassette, the family home entertainment. Very violent movie to watch at the age of two and a half or three, but it still kind of stuck with me at the end of the day. But, um... At the end, you know, I really just enjoyed it. I thought that violence was the answer. If you were a mutant, it's okay. If you're different from society, it's okay because you could solve your problems with violence. Uh, and it's okay for things that are not human to be attracted to humans, as the Turtles first star with April <laughs> O'Neil. So I very much uh, enjoyed kind of that perspective of the film when I watched it. But then as I got older, obviously, I watched it, watched it, watched it. And then when I was four years old, we used to have garage sales, and my mother sold the VHS tape for three whole dollars, and I started crying and pouting and things like that. So I ended up going to the person that sold, had the VHS tape sold to them, and um, I kicked them in the testicles, and uh, I stole the VHS and just ran. I don't know where I ran to. No one caught me. But I kept that movie, damn it, because it was mine, and we just had bought 
uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, Secret of the Ooze. So in my damn mind, there was no way that someone was going to take my TMNT 1. But I watched it several more times, got grounded for a few weeks. I learned what grounded was then. But um, the the moral of the story is um, I started watching all the reruns of the actual animated shows that would be on Saturday morning cartoons when that was a thing, pre-YouTube. And, um, you know, the theme song, I would have audio cassettes recorded of it. And I remember having the poster in my room, say uh, no to drugs, say yes to pizza. And the one that said Democratic Party, Republican Party, what about a pizza party? Uh, That was a great one. That was more so during the Gore and Clinton election (laughs) times, the Dole Kemp era. But yeah, the movie, even until then, I would watch it every single weekend. I did hurt one of my cousins with a cricket bat because that's what, um, you know, our favorite Jones would do in the film. (laughs) So it kind of really, like, when I think about it, when... uh, people watch it from a perspective of watching it this is an amazing movie i just wanted to kind of be them and you know eat a lot of pizza like i would get pissed off when we eat pizza hut and not Domino's because that's what they eat in the first one and you know it's very uh it was a very big part of my childhood it's still a very big part of me today where i can still go back and watch this film and it's not one of those movies that you go back like keanu reeves and speed or broken arrow by john woo or where like this is a terrible movie but this is absolutely amazing in every way shape and form i legitimately from a heartfelt perspective especially since it is the shaw brothers that produced it the world famous shaw brothers um do believe that it is a very good film at the time it was released, and it still really does hold up after watching it. Just especially with just showing the teen rebellion fact with the foot, you know, like do I want to be part of the foot or do I want to be part of the turtles? I think that's the really big kind of question you ask yourself when you're a youth watching this film. Dude, that is a killer story. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> you guys both have very storied histories with the turtles. Uh, for my part, I have I came into this with pretty much zero nostalgic attachment to the Ninja Turtles. Um, I missed out on the Turtles just a, just a, for first run for those cartoons. I was just a little bit too young. Like, my sister was Donatello one year for Halloween. I was a Power Rangers kid. I was too I was too young for that. So I didn't really get into the Turtles, I guess, really ever. Um, I've seen this movie maybe once before preparing for the podcast, and I was really young. I think I've seen Secret of the Ooze, uh, Secret of the Ooze a few more times. The first time I saw a Ninja Turtles movie beginning to end was the animated feature that came out um, in, I think, 2007, and I, I dug that one, actually. I don't know if a lot of people are nuts about that movie, but I, I, had, a, I had a really good time watching that movie. Not being somebody who has memories to go back on, I basically was watching this movie with an entirely fresh head here at the age of 24, and I had a I had a hard time with it, you guys. I'm I'm hoping that by the end of this podcast, you guys will be able to be able to instill a love of the turtles in me, because as as it stands, I man, I this movie was work for me, man. I, I don't know. I had the hardest time getting through. I was taking my notes at a certain point. I think I just started writing. I'm so bored. I'm so bored, you guys. Please oh help my me. dear God! Yes. Oh no! This was yeah. oh the no! Shots. When they were, um, I think it was right about the time they ended up over in, in the house in the woods, and we'll get there. Um, but when they're when they're out of the city and they're sort of in hiding, and then April starts narrating the movie suddenly, um, I felt like a lot of the momentum was lost. And hey, now Leonardo can uh, can be telepathic with Splinter through meditation, and uh, then the climactic fights didn't really do anything for me. I need you guys to help me. <laughs> well, help isn't me Donatello get... drunk in the bathtub when they hide away? <laughs> uh, no, well, Raph is knocked out. Raph is, Raph is knocked out. He's recuperating yeah, yeah, yeah. in the in the bathtub. Uh, like, what's funny though? They, it's like I guess they the idea is that they have him in water because turtles like to be in water, but they don't bother. He's supposed to be real beat up, but they don't bother taking off. Uh, you know, like his mask or like all his elbow pads and stuff like that. And I was like, oh. Now, as an adult, I realize that that means the suits didn't come apart like that. Yes, yes. <laughs> it, is, it is all one. Let's talk about those suits before we dive into the movie. I, I feel like um, comparing them now to the teaser trailer that we've just seen for the Michael Bay produced Ninja Turtles oh. movie that's coming out. I will take oh, are we going to get to that teaser trailer? I will take... Well, this episode ended up being pretty timely, which is nice. Um, oh, that, beautiful. Because that trailer is fresh. But... I will take the Jim Henson 
studio suits over those CGI turtles. Oh, for any sure. Day oh, of the week, a thousand million percent, and it's not even like being a film purist or a TMNT purist or like someone who knows TMNT to a scientific aesthetic. It's just a look. It's just a looking like at your eyes of watching a movie, seeing which one looks better. It's yeah. Jim Henson, hands down. Yeah. Like it's. You know, the whole nose thing as well, which is obviously the biggest controversy on the internet with the trailer. But, um, yeah, oh my god, Jim, the work on that, the detail that went into that, unbelievable. Well, you know, like, I, I love practical effects, I love Muppets and Muppet related uh, things. <laughs> so, I, I felt like, um, I, I would believe that it's sort of like how people say that the animatronic th- thing in the unreleased Roger Corman. Fantastic Four movie give a better performance than Michael Chiklis did in that makeup in the Tim Story <laughs> Michael uh, um, Tim Story Fantastic Four movies. I feel like it's kind of like that where you have these animatronic things. That I feel like I feel like there's a, a, a lot of love that went into making those and to doing the portrayals of the character, um, and maybe because there was more invention required to it. I say that was like one of the biggest things that I noticed like rewatching this you know as an adult is that. Um, the limitations, and this is a big deal with, you know, I guess for basically all of cinema, you know, until the advent of really being able to just use CGI for everything, is that, like, the limitations made you be more creative with some of the things. You know, it's like not being able to just go, oh, we'll fix this later, made them, like, led to, like, really interesting ways to shooting some of the stuff and the way that they... Um, there was a lot oh, of things yeah. where it's like they're yeah. having to hide... They're basically, you know, they're having to hide the seams so to speak, or, you know, they're having to hide all of the stuff that makes these things not, you know, just look like guys that everything that makes them not look like real turtles or a real talking rat. It's all of that stuff leads to sort of things that are more visually interesting. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Even just from like a, and you know, it's all, like I said, it's a Shaw brothers production. So you have Hong Kong finances in this movie and they know how to not only just put a tightly packed tentpole movie together, but keep, character and creativity in it that was the best part about them you know and the fact that this was them delving into kind of the u.s market right when new line cinemas all started as well everyone was taking a risk at the same time so they had room for creativity they had room to kind of try things out like this which obviously doesn't happen anymore but in 1989 you know that was the thing to do when they were filming i think that nowadays it's just child's play to create a computer generated character and that maybe not that much thought is needed in the design of them anymore or in how you're going to make it work because you just figure oh well you know we we know how to do it i mean now if you made jaws for the first time now it would suck (laughs) oh the worst you couldn't like there's it's like if you made well that's a whole other topic but if you made star wars a new hope today not the episode seven a new hope like can't think about it yeah it's like you know just some of the stuff that they have to use to try to hide all of the uh fakeness or you know like or where things might look bad and like the broad light of day that they do things that make it more moody and atmospheric and it's part of that is to set the tone but it's also to hide you know that these are guys in suits with robot heads on you know i mean and even though it's done really well and it's done like to the absolute best you know quality that could have been expected in that day and age the the human eye can detect fakeness you know we're we're used to what looks real and what doesn't so it's like even when something is done really well we notice it so if you do something like the way this movie did with like the way the did the lighting and the camera angles and a lot of the stuff that they in the way that they cut things to make the turtles look better it just ends up sort of being more pleasing to you on a uh, yeah i guess you know like on an emotional level than seeing something that you just your brain immediately knows the entire thing is just uh, this is all just cgi and who cares your reptile brain can tell yeah can yeah. recognize the turtles yeah. as people there's a little yeah um we talked a little bit about the the visual aesthetic of that i wanted to talk a little bit about the tone of the movie um for me, my problem was I felt like this was very much a kids' movie, except for people said curse words in it. I remember it being such a huge deal that uh, they said the word "damn" in this a the number first of times. Thing, the first thing you hear into the turtles say is "damn it." Yeah, it's like that was such a big deal, and we—I mean, we were so excited as little kids to because, I mean, it was like this was a kids' movie, but you know, it's like a PG movie back then. You could you could get away with certain number of you know i mean it's like uh raiders of the lost ark is pg and there's like a few uh, choice swears in there i think and there's also oh yeah oh yeah and 
more importantly, I mean, there are, you know, people just getting flat out shot and people dying and it's oh and like the end the you know man's face being basically burned alive um that's kind of terrifying even watching it now i'm like whoa whoa there this is not i'm not gonna sleep correctly now the pre-pg the pre-pg 13 age was the age of nightmare fuel and (laughs) you don't get that so much anymore oh yeah and it's very and the first one is just definitely a lot darker than the second one which is a lot more whimsical and kind of like just weird but this this one is definitely like it's going back to the whole thing of the foot. I don't think we talked about that enough. Like Danny has just like this innocent, strange looking ginger character that got no work <laughs> afterwards. But maybe that was because of the tone of the movie, you know, like Tatsu is terrifying. I'm still terrified by Tatsu. That's the uh, bald yeah, he Asian gentleman. He basically kills a kid. He basically and he basically has when you think about it, it's a bunch of like kind of like child child soldiers in the new york city ninja turtles era like even though they have that cool arcade skate park-esque junk food area where you know they all hang out and he encourages them all to be hoodlums and things i'm like what what influence does he have he's not giving them money but he's giving them like the way to rebel and do all these things that they want to do and i i always say this and people say it's irrelevant but it's absolutely not they don't have internet and smartphones so what else are they gonna do to like have fun besides all this mischievous stuff you know so it's very interesting to me like tatsu has a lot to do with that movie like he's very kind of horrifying he's still kind of terrifying i showed my nephews and nieces this movie i was excited i was like this is my childhood and they were like oh my god why is he telling all these people to do all these things it's not racist because i am indian and they speak accents (laughs) but i don't know i feel like the the tatsu as a villain and then even shredder i mean he has the name alone is just like, oh my god, this guy's gonna kill someone. Uh, then we had all the '90s Disney movies come about, uh, you know, come amok with all the ridiculously dark villains. And I'm, in my heart, I'm just gonna say it's because of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles one why those uh, villains were uh, inspired and motivated the way they were. But that's just in my world. Breaking down barriers for film for generations, Teenage Mutant T- Ninja Turtles. <laughs> so, all right, let's let's jump into the meat of the movie. We are introduced to New York through um, through April O'Neil's news broadcast. Um, I, I I got a kick out of it. She says, "It's like who are the, there's a crime wave. Who are we going to call? Unfortunately, only the police are available. As if she, <laughs> as if in every other city in the country there are already mass vigilantes, and New York is like the one place that doesn't have it. She's like, hey, where are all the mass goons fighting outside the law? How come only the police are here to fight crime? That's bogus." Um, and definitely, that's that's where the whole fantasy, the kind of realistic fiction, somewhat of a fantasy element comes into the movie, you know, where you get to think that New York is a character in its own light, like, who are you going to call? And I was like, oh, Ghostbusters, the yeah, first time I saw that. But yeah, like, no, they don't, they don't have a hero. Evidently, though, there are also various other vigilantes around because, you know, they just bump into Casey Jones. He's doing his thing. He didn't even know the turtles exist. So. Yeah, it kind of makes you wonder if that's the if it's like if there's already um, you know if like the thing she's talking about like who else is there? Unfortunately, there's only the police or whatever. It's like did she already know that there's rumblings of a guy in a hockey mask who's beating up uh, purse snatchers? Or uh, did Casey Jones was that like his first time out when we first see him? Uh, and he's you know just coincidentally come about at the same time uh, to you know it's sort of like how they say sometimes that like the the emergence of a hero like in comics is what brings like the super villains out of the works. Uh, so it kind of makes you wonder if it's like, Oh, if, if like a bad guy, you know, if bad guys rise up, does that also just start to bring like necessitate like that the world will then create superheroes like as an antibody. That's a pretty like good, that kind yeah. That's I, I very good. That, yeah. yeah. One of the first human characters we meet is a, a, a teenage foot member played by a baby Sam Rockwell. <laughs> oh did not even notice that well because again for me like i i have i don't have memories of this movie so the first thing i'm like holy shit the first thing i recognize in the movie is it's it's sam rockwell, it's sam rockwell. <laughs> and he is like a super babykin he's like 17 years old or some shit wait it was actually before his drinking and driving straight to hbo psa movie that he did <laughs> uh i remember now i'm thinking about it yeah it was made in 1992 and it was one of those uh dramatizations of i think we would watch in health class it was like required by every school to show it in the 90s do you know what i'm referring to oh shit i don't remember we would have seen the same the same uh the same videos and such 
Listening audience, uh, Raj and I went to high school together. We were one year apart, so we have some shared experiences in this drive oh, yes. head shit. <laughs> um, well, it's funny. I remember that character just as plain as day, but I had... I mean, because Sam, nobody knew who Sam Rockwell. Like all my memories of this movie are from seeing it a million times as a kid. So uh, I just remembered the character, but never would have thought like you know. Then once Sam Rockwell came on this, you know, became Sam Rockwell, it's not like I ever put two and two together. And so to the point where even when I was watching it for this, which was the first time I had seen it, in I don't know how many years. Um, yeah, my girlfriend like immediately recognized him as Sam Rockwell, but like I couldn't see him as anyone other than this teenager from the Ninja Turtles. We're introduced to Ninja Turtles pretty quickly in in the movie. After that first encounter with April and the the Foot Kids, we go immediately to the sewers and uh, and meet all the turtles and uh, and Splinter. They're skateboarding around and shit, saying things like Cowabunga and Bossa Nova. Bossa Nova, Chevy yeah. Nova, <laughs> excellent. Very good pop culture reference with the Chevy Nova right there. Did love it. My cousin did drive a Chevy Nova. <laughs> there's uh, there's a lot of very Arab specific references made. Um, I, I think it, this movie gets dated dates itself a lot in the very specific jokes it makes. Like, hey, this is like watching Moonlighting. Oh yes, that is a very what uh, that's uh, Bruce Willis, right? Yeah, that's yeah, Die Hard. I, I think uh, one thing that uh, struck me about the movie is up until the point where Raph gets knocked out, like like halfway through the movie, he Raphael's really the only one of the four Ninja Turtles who who distinguishes himself from the others in the first beginning of the movie. It really seems like like uh, like Leonardo, Donatello, and Michelangelo, it, they feel more like they're all close together in terms of what their characterization is like, and that and that Raphael is sort of the outlier and sort of the one who's not interested in partying or pizza is just grumpy all the time. Yeah, he's like more of the realistic turtle at the end of the day. He he's tried to I think to be relatable that you know I have this quote unquote responsibility and these powers that I'm supposed to do, but he's always kind of felt like the odd man out at the end of the day. He seems to be the only one in this movie who um is as sour as someone who as a teenager who was living in the sewers would be. <laughs> the other four seem like their brains didn't develop to the point that they would realize how terrible it is living in a sewer as a teenager. And then he's the only one who's like, I mean, cause teenagers are pretty salty to be fair though. Like he, none of them really seem all that much like teenagers in this movie. They seem more like, uh, you know, 20 somethings. Well, except for Michelangelo, I guess, who's, who's, you know, cause Mikey's the kid, right? Like he's sort of like, yeah. the, like he's, his main concern is, is usually going to be food and he's just kind of goofing on everything. Yeah, uh, but yeah, they they don't. Ha- well, I mean, and it's not as though they really acted like teenagers all that much in the cartoons either. So, I mean, I think the the only thing that's gotten a uh, a really good vibe on them acting more like actual teenagers is that new Ninja Turtles cartoon that's on Nickelodeon. I, I oh yes, yes, yes. Set modern day. It's very interesting. Definitely check it out. It's awesome. I, I feel like it's uh, better than it has any business being. Like it's, <laughs> it just it doesn't have to be as good as it is, and yet you can tell that the people that are working on it are uh, people who grew up loving the Ninja Turtles and are like really trying their best to do the best, coolest, you know, most uh, worthy. Like the, just trying to make it feel as. As, you know, I guess as good as they possibly can, you know, make it like a worthwhile endeavor and not just a... Uh, Reintroduce it to this generation, you know, with, with its same character, really. From your description, it kind of sounds like this sort of uh, recursive kind of like made by made by fans for, for older fans, the way that, say, Mystery Inc. is to, to Scooby-Doo. Yeah, that's exactly what I would I would like mm-hmm. it to. Um, that's uh, when I started watching this uh, this new Turtles one. Uh, I I mean I expected to go like okay it's the Ninja Turtles whatever I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm you know I'm sure I will I will enjoy it on a nostalgia level if nothing else. But then when I started watching it, it was like oh this is really good. The first thing I thought of yeah was exactly was um, uh, Mystery Inc. The thing that really broke my suspension of disbelief, more than the fact that these are five-foot turtles who skateboard and say cowabunga and no ninja moves, they live in New York and they order dominoes. You gotta <laughs> love that Shit. vertical integration of brands. You gotta pay uh, pay for the movie somehow to make sure those actors get an extra something. Well, you know What's what? really... 
Well, I was going to say this is just kind of speaking to something Raj said earlier. It's funny, though. It's like they have Domino's in the movie, but Pizza Hut was the one that had like the tie in advertising with them uh, once the movie had come out Mm -hmm. or like once it was like uh, once it was, uh, you know, to the uh, getting things ready for the promotional stage, I guess, which I always just thought was so weird. Like even as a kid, I thought that was weird. Because the Ninja Turtles commercials and, you know, the Ninja Turtles, uh, you know, whatever they had was at Pizza Hut, but they ate Domino's in the movie. So I was very torn on how to feel about it. I was like, well, I I want Pizza Hut because they have Ninja Turtles stuff. Where the hell do I eat now, Dan? Yeah, yeah. But uh, (laughs) but I was like, but the turtles are eating Domino's, so I don't know what to do. (laughs) I don't know what to do, but they're telling me Pizza Hut. Yeah, yeah, no, that's why I was so disappointed. Yeah, man, it's you need the pizza. You'd only eat what the turtles tell you. <laughs> the answer is neither, goddammit. <laughs> yeah, you're in New York City. Go find a real goddamn pizza place. <laughs> like, <laughs> There's one literally everywhere. Like, if they would have done an Easter egg for it, if Spike Lee ended up producing it and they had Sal's <laughs> pizza in it, I feel like that would have been the greatest thing ever and it would have been timeless. R- Raph goes into a huff and fucking busts the window with a garbage can. With a garbage can <laughs> for his pizza. <laughs> That's, that's how filmmaking's done. Yeah. Um, so Raphael skips out. He's moody. You know the, the turtles are are in hiding underneath the city. Like they're 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 skipping out using their using the uh, the ninja invisibility skills that their that their giant rat slash dark crystal puppet um, Splinter <laughs> mentor has given them. And I really like I like I like the Splinter puppet a lot. Oh yeah. Did you know that? Uh, I'm I'm sure someone was going to bring this up, but though that Kevin Clash did the voice for it. Ah, I'm embarrassed to not know who that is. Oh, Ke- Kevin Clash is the Muppet performer that uh, created Elmo. Oh, uh, that guy. Yeah, uh, and it's—I mean—and he's done like a ton of voices for a bunch of things. He did Baby Sinclair on Dinosaurs, if you guys remember that show. I remember that. Um, so, but yeah, it's just—it's so weird. I mean, that he's known for such a uh, such a young, you know, like a uh, you know baby voice. Yeah, sort of the but then, voice thing goes plays yeah. plays deep. And then, but yeah, you turn around, and then here he is doing this uh, really old rat uh, voice, which just sounds so different. Hmm. Just thought that was interesting. So Raph is tired of being cooped up down there in the sewers, um, and decides he wants to go see a movie. He sees critters. I love that his disguise too. I mean, was basically what the thing's disguise always was for trying to go <laughs> yeah, out. Straight up Fantastic Four. Yeah. Which, I mean, I feel like that was probably, like, an intentional kind of nod to... Or, I mean, I guess that's basically the only thing you can wear is a big hat and a trench coat. Yeah, it's maybe the the sizing, but also it might have been a nod. Who knows? I mean, it's apparently really effective because you can be standing looking (laughs) right at him, and until the hat and coat get knocked off, you have no idea this is a giant turtle. So... But we meet Casey Jones, who at at the first glance was like, it's Jason Mewes! It's not Mewes. Um, The... uh, the actor's name is Elias Coteus, and he or Elias Coteus. Does anyone happen to know? I don't know which pronunciation it is, but this was a dude who was also like really tripped me up when he showed up in other movies. Like as a kid, it really bothered me. I, I guess I just wasn't like firm on the concept of people being more than one thing. Hmm. You know, like where once I thought of someone as a specific character or, you know, like a, an actor as a specific character, that's all they could be in my mind. When he shows up, when uh, Casey Jones shows up in Look Who's Talking too, as uh, Kirstie Alley's brother or whatever, I was like, no, this can't be happening. You need to be hanging out just with the Ninja Turtles. So Casey Jones, uh, the actor Elias Coteus, or I feel terrible that I don't know how to say it right. Um, he, he, to me, felt like he was doing like a De Niro kind of thing, like a you talking to me kind of taxi driver type character, but with a little bit less of an edge, I guess, than the character from Taxi Driver. But, um, very, very, uh, very New York tough guy. Um, I mean, he was, in, he was endearing. I think they, they played up sort of Han Solo type elements for him later, especially in his interactions with April, sort of doing the Han and Leia belligerent flirting thing. Yeah. That's what I thought, and I thought he was going to, I don't know, I thought he was going to be an iconic, he was iconic for that one, but I thought he was going to be back, you know, franchised on that, you know? I thought he was stamped like it was Turtles plus Jones, but then that didn't really go down at the end, so, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what happened to his career. Well, he was also totally different from the character, you know, In it was weird that they, how they, he makes sense in that movie, but his character in the, um, you know, in the cartoon is 
so totally different. Like never what takes is the mask. What character like in the cartoon? In the cartoon, he is like a psychopath. Like, I mean, he's a good guy, but I mean, he he talks with like he's got like a monster voice almost, and he's like never takes the mask off, and he is just like the like the turtles are. I mean, they he is he helps, but he is also like they're kind of afraid of him. You know, like they're like that guy gives me the creeps or, you know, that kind of stuff, even though he is like one of their buddies, but he's got like a really gravelly kind of voice and just is way more serious about crime. He's like the punisher of Ooh, I mean, whoa, what a reference. I feel like he's like way more a, uh, a take on the punisher in uh, like the cartoons and uh, the comics. Whereas in this movie, he's it's like you said, he's sort of just like a New York tough guy who's out to try to. It seems like he has fun yeah, uh, he's, he's, beating people up. But uh, so I guess they softened up Casey a little bit because he's, he's, he's as much a comic relief character as any of the turtles. But yeah, he's, 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 his wit's just more dry than theirs is. Yeah, I mean, but also just the idea like of him having sort of like this romantic relationship with April is something that never would have, ha- you know, would like definitely you'd never see happening in the comics because it's like you would not even think that he is he is not interested in anything but you know beating people up in the cartoons he's basically just all about crime kind of like how the punisher didn't have time for a girlfriend or whatever it's very much like that and but then in this that he's like yeah that he would not make jokes in the cartoon stuff like that this is it's not that he's necessarily softer but it is like a very different take on i guess well i mean of course in like later stuff they've done him a bunch of different ways as well so who knows? Well, that's the joy of any comic book property is that you know you get the opportunity to remake it with each with each do something a little bit different each time you uh, each each time you reboot. Well, it's like in that new Ninja Turtles cartoon. Uh, not only are the turtles more like teenagers, but April and Casey Jones are both also teenagers. Aha! Uh-huh. But but uh-huh. it's not it's not uh, as obnoxious as that sounds on paper. You know. In this movie, uh, the Ninja Turtles seem like they're more. They're sort of like you know how when you make um, when you make a show for kids, you usually have the leads of the show a little bit older than your intended audience, because yeah. kids, if you're five, you don't want to watch a show about a four year old, but you do want to watch a show about an eight year old, and if you're eight, yeah, exactly. you don't want to watch a show about a seven year old, but you do want to watch a show about a twelve year old. So I think oh, it's, it's always the four or five year limit. I used to want to watch um, the show Recess because I wanted to be cool like the sixth graders. Yeah. I mean, to a degree, I don't really believe in that particular philosophy because that's the kind of thing that leads to um, crap. Uh, for instance, I, I don't think it's necessary for you to have a kid character. For there are no kids in the original Star Wars trilogy. Well, right? I think it's also partly. I mean, it's partly that thing of like wanting them to seem like a little bit older than whatever the audience they're shoot the target demo is. But the other thing is also uh, this movie feels very much like it is. Uh, uh, guys in their thirties you know, or so trying to um, trying to write like what they think teenagers are like. I still get the impression though that it's more like they're sort of softened up teenagers, so the teenagers that the younger, the preteens can relate to, because they don't really have the same complication, complicated feelings as teenagers do. I mean, there's an they're, enormous amount. They're teenagers, of like yeah, exactly, like. When they're ten years old, they can watch this in five years and still yeah. relate to it. They're, they're, I think that they're teenagers the way that preteens imagine being a teenager is like, rather than where you're what, basically a, a, like to a preteen, a teenager is practically an adult. Yeah, but like also maybe just like a freer kid. Um, yeah, there's the turtles in this movie. They're not complicated at all, and I think that's one thing that. I think that the the teenage experience has to do a lot with just being confused all the fucking time. Um, and apart from rap, they really don't seem like they're that conflicted at all. I mean, there's only room so, for so much. It doesn't have to be, this isn't Stand By Me, we're not making Donnie Darko. You know, it's like... It's... <laughs> to, to, to go back to 2002, the three turtles that are not Raph are Nickelback and Chad Kroger's hero, and Raph is Avril Lavigne's Complicated. Okay. Just to put it in songs. <laughs> All right. I, I like. Uh, we haven't really talked much about about April no- O'Neil as a character yet. So let's talk about April. Let's start with Chris. What were your impressions of this version of April, and how does she compare to the comic book legacy of April in general? Uh well, um, in, well, in the uh, I think it's like in the original comics, uh, she was a lab assistant for uh, Baxter Stockman. 
and it was the cartoon and then the subsequent comics that were like like the Archie comic the comics that were basically like the cartoon mm-hmm. is what made her a news reporter and then that's what that's why she's a news reporter in the movie so I mean it was faithful to it, it you know it starts to get kind of blurry on what you what you want to decide the real like canon of the Ninja Turtles is like most people think of I think most people's uh, you know interpretations of the turtles are based way more on that cartoon than on any of the comics. So, uh, I felt like she was, they did a real good job of basically making her, uh, like a, a kind of a real life version of that character from the cartoon. Um, I mean, they could have put her in something yellow at least. Um, you know. Oh wait, or didn't they have that one part? She's at the got a yellow coat in the beginning. Yeah. Of the yeah. That's right. I remember noticing that I was like, okay, they didn't put her in a yellow jumpsuit because why would any reporter wear a yellow jumpsuit? <laughs> full just that's still like even at the even as a kid watching that i was going like i don't think any actual grown-ups wear this kind of thing it's a speed suit <laughs> yeah so um yeah short of uh being a uh super scientist i, I just i don't i didn't see many news reporters <laughs> especially for big metropolitan uh news stations wearing jumpsuits bright yellow jumpsuits it's like lois um, lane dresses so well she has to have an like, opposite number somewhere who has has the just just no sense <laughs> yeah. i did get a very lois laney vibe from her she's like super intrepid she doesn't take any shit from from anybody telling her to, to, to run away from a story she'll put herself in danger for a story oh she's fucking she's wild in the first one at least she has this edge to her with that curly hair and everything, she knows what she's doing, you know? Like she's, I feel like she's just, she's always pushing forward. She's being progressive in that way, which is just, I don't know if, if, if I was a, if I was a little girl watching that movie, I know, I know my cousin, she was nine when she saw the movie. She wanted to be April O'Neil. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my girlfriend whose name is April, uh, also desperately wanted to be April O'Neil then growing up after having seen this movie as a little, little kid. She's doing something creative, you know? journalism she's taking a risk every single day with something but most of all she's just very like i don't know she's excited about new things and looking forward to new things and seeing what's going to kind of happen next you know she's initially startled by the turtles like anybody would be right but she she gets used to it very quickly and then when she she, realizes they're good guys she's like she invites them to go and have pizza like hey let's like you can crash at my place it's totally cool yeah she's like a mom sometimes you know She's really ballsy and like she's not like a she, even though there are times where she is in danger like her first reaction when those foot guys show up when she's in the subway station and Raph saves her like her first reaction is not to scream for help or anything her first reaction is to try to take that sigh of his that she had found out of her purse and fight with it and then when they knock that out of her hand she takes her purse and starts trying to beat them with that and i have to imagine that there was like I mean, it didn't register to me then, but like looking back on it now, I'm sure that had to register with a lot of little girls that it's like, oh, I, you know, that m- maybe that was their first introduction to like, oh, I can be tough and, you know, whatever else you want to say, wherever else you want to be. She's, she's a tough chick and, you know, you're coming off of the R-rated Linda Hamilton in Terminator and, you know, Sigourney Weaver in Aliens as the badass female action heroes and obviously... April is not as badass as them, but still has a little bit of, you know, they, I, I feel like the filmmakers wanted to put that in her, you know? Yeah, I hadn't, th- I hadn't thought about it in that context, but I feel like you're probably absolutely right that they wanted to try to, uh, you know, they, that that was probably like an inspiration for them was like seeing uh, how popular Ripley and uh, and Sarah Connor had been. Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, the next characters to get introduced, we kind of get a look at the the Foot Clan, the whole thing with uh, with Shredder's gang of wayward delinquent children. Who I guess we only have the one example who we meet really closely in Danny, but they I guess they they're mostly missing like like authority figures they respect in their lives. Like Danny's dad, kind of like his mom is nowhere to be found, I guess, and his and his dad is is like kind of. Kind of I lame. assume his mom is dead. I would assume that she's dead, yeah. But now you have sort of this Fagin, Artful Dodger thing uh, where, like, he's got all of these kids who, who respect him and he just gets them, you know, they steal for him and he gets them the things that they want. And apparently teenagers 
what they're mostly interested in when they're unsupervised is they want cigarettes, and none of them have heard what sex is. So <laughs> cigarettes, money, skateboarding, skateboarding, arcade games, and no one's um, wondering where the we hang out maybe with with some girls maybe. Uh, I don't know. Well, they don't have they don't need girls when you have cigarettes. Yeah. yeah, when you've got cigarettes and skateboarding and Burger King and free, <laughs> uh, and Tatsu free... shouting at you to like play video games, what yeah, more do yeah. you want? I, I don't. I, well, and also I think that's probably like a real conscious choice by the filmmakers. It's like we know that the majority of this audience is little boys who are not into, who are not at all interested in girls yet, who uh, still think girls are gross. Well, they are They're though, girls. aren't they? Aren't oh, they? Yeah, Let's I be mean... honest here. It's this straight talk show. Girls are gross. <laughs> Girls have cooties. They've always had cooties. I don't know what anyone else thinks that they are. I heard they create life, but still. Yeah. <laughs> cooties. I ended up, um, when you get to know Shredder and the, like, the little the little peaks that you get at how he behaves around these kids, I start feeling kind of bad for him the way that he's treated by the Turtles. Like, he doesn't seem like a total straight up villain to me. I get the I get the feeling that he's got that he kind of cares about the kids to a degree. And you, oh man, you're falling right into his trap. Hey, you know what? I, he's they call him master. Damn it. Yeah, but you know what though? He he has sort of this atmosphere of of respect. He doesn't he doesn't yell at them. He doesn't treat them like shit. He, he says, doesn't have to yell at them because me. that's. What- that's what he's got Tatsu for. He's Shredder. He has Tatsu for yelling. He is the disciplined, poised. He's there. He's the leader. I, I felt a little bit bad that Shredder is is treated so shamefully by the Turtles. He's Whatever, man. They stole their... They stole... <laughs> I mean, Shredder had them steal the Turtles' dad. Okay, he had it pretty low, and he did he did kill uh, Splinter's uh, Splinter's master's girlfriend slash wife or whatever. And pretty... he tries to kill Vanilla Ice in the second one. Vanilla That's Ice. the most important part <laughs> of everything. What I'm saying is that, like many the, of us have tried, except for in the flashback, <laughs> except for in the flashback, we find that he that he murders a lady um, and his, a man and another. Okay, he murders some people. And I guarantee you, I mean, the they, obviously they're not gonna they're not gonna get into it in the movie, but I guarantee you there are a lot of uh, children's corpses hidden okay. somewhere. I would of assume course. that there's like uh, anyone who questions him too much gets taken out uh, swiftly and severely, so they can't ever tell anyone about the operation. And I think that everyone is mostly. I mean, you say that it seems like people that he has people's respect, but I think it is more that. Uh, implied that he is death everyone is deathly afraid of him i mean that guy is walking around with knives all over him i mean of and, course you're going to be terrified and shiny, of him. Re- and shiny red pants and yeah, he I, can kill you with his I face have, i have to tell you though nobody i've never seen anybody pull off glittery red pants better than shredder does in this movie well you should see the pants that i'm wearing right now then buddy <laughs> and you should see the pants you. i wore two weeks ago as well so you know you shouldn't uh, speak ahead of yourself Damn we could this be the next audio Shredders. only entertainment <laughs> format so many limitations that just didn't foresee so shredder I, okay i guess shredder's i bad. imagine shredder is just walking around there and i i assume people are getting killed all the time just accidentally like he just points too quickly, and somebody runs face first into a spike by accident, and then they just you see like everyone kind of like looks around nervously for a moment, and then uh, two other guys kind of like scurry up and drag that guy off the dead guy off into the darkness. Okay, so and then they're like, "Oh, let's not talk about him anymore." So Shredder is not the kind of dad who's big with public displays of affection. Not a lot of hugs. <laughs> just just because as a safety concern, he's not. He's not going to get too physically affectionate with his kids. Yeah. Or with, or with anything. I mean, he can't... I mean, I assume that his whole day is spent just trying to be very careful about wh- where he's walking and what he's doing. Like, even, you know, to the extent of possibly hurting himself. Shredder also meets a pretty horrible, I would say, borderline disproportionate supposed end at this movie. We know that there are sequels to this movie and that we'll see him again, but he... For all we know, taking this movie by itself, he gets crushed in a garbage compactor. And it's Little just, do we know, and crushed. It's, <laughs> it's just laughed off, too. It's like Casey hits a button, he's like, oops. And they yeah. crush a dude to death 
in a hard. It's a horrible well, I, way to they, die. They, I, they, it's they, they just kill him one touch they, dead. <laughs> they play it lighthearted because you in you know this is still a kids movie, and um, you have to make sure the bad guy is gone for good. Kids have to feel like the scary bad guy is gone for good now. Well, you know, um, but like, you also you can't just have him be. Uh, you couldn't have had like you know one of the turtles like run him through or um, you, you notice none of the turtles are even the one who take care of him. They have to have the grown up character, you know, who is, uh, yeah, uh, splinter knocks him off the roof or rather tricks him into falling off the roof or whatever. So he's not actively involved in his death. But he also, he does it himself. Like, um, you know, shredder try is holding on to that thing. He only falls because he then tries to stab shredder. I mean, tries to stab Splinter, and then I mean, come on, the, yeah, the fall alone—he was probably already dead by the time he hit the. Oh, I feel like you can't have it back w- both ways. You have to either push him off the cliff and then crush him in a trash compactor, or have him fall off the crew, uh, fall off it, and then maybe the trash compactor accidentally starts. Well, but it's a Shaw Brothers movie, so you solve it with simplicity, but you present that bigger things will happen. I mean, my two cents. My, I, I think that he is the fall kills him. Like he falls from a really from quite a ways up. I think he's already dead. I think that the doing the con- the trash compacting kind of thing was a way to give it like a little bit of lightning by having Casey make a joke of it, but also just to let the kids feel like, oh, he is really. We don't have to worry about him anymore. He's okay. He's not with us. It's also yeah, one of the more he's gruesome. gone now. It's one the of scary, the, more- <laughs> the very very scary man is gone now. It's also kind of death that's that's gruesome, implicitly gruesome, but explicitly you don't see anything. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's satisfying like, without being uh, without having to actually show anything. It's not as if the trash compactor then starts gushing blood. <laughs> or they could have just shown underneath the. They could have after he says "oops," the camera could have sort of floated down to beneath the garbage truck as you see like. A small trickle of blood just start kind of dropping out. Basically, Paul Weirhoven should have directed this movie, or at least the third act. <laughs> oh man, I would love to. See that. <laughs> is is uh, what I'm here. Enough. That is like that. Uh, that is not the first time I've heard someone say that. Someone <laughs> say. <laughs> I'm telling you, you add blood squibs and a bunch of cheesy synth music. Everything in life is just better. A couple more points I want to talk about. There were, er, were um, we haven't talked really about Splinter at all. Uh, he is a rat. He's he becomes giant larger. Rat. He's a rat. He's a great puppet. Uh, he is voiced by Kevin Clash. I think we've covered it all. Uh, mm-hmm. about all to say about it. Um, I want to talk he's... about um, as somebody who didn't find the. I'm sorry. Someone had more to say about Splinter. Oh, I was going to say that also. He. I mean, he is different in this than he is in the uh, cartoons. Which you know, in the cartoon, he was a uh, man who got mutated into a rat-like creature. Oh, as opposed to being a rat who gets mutated into a man-like creature. I, I think I buy the rat being mutated more because that's how we get the turtles having the two of them. Have yeah, the same it's the TGRI green fluid. Um, those little flashback scenes that were that looked like they were like super sepia toned and like like looked wicked seventies was kind of cool, especially yeah. considering if they're teenagers in nineteen ninety, then that is. You know, roughly when they would, when it would have been happening too, would have been, I guess, mm-hmm. in the early, the early seventies, right? Am I doing the math right? Oh yeah, yeah, it's very well done. Okay. It's definitely yeah, seventy four. There were a couple of as somebody who who didn't like really buy into the tone of the movie that much. There were a couple of uh, of joke moments that really got me, where I got a really genuine laugh out of it. One of them was early on in the movie where uh, Raphael is walking around in his trench coat and he runs past a, a cab, and there's like a. A guy in the back seat of the cab, he's like, what was that? And the cab driver's like, kind of looked like a big turtle in a trench coat. You're going to LaGuardia, right? Yeah. And I, <laughs> I, I, I got a laugh. I got a chuckle out of that. That's like sort of one of those New Yorkers are unfazed by anything jokes, but I, I, think, it, I think it lands. Um, I really liked um, when they were all, when the turtles, towards the end, when the turtles are all fighting uh, Splinter on the, uh, sorry, fighting Shredder on the rooftop, um, and they're failing, and they have that little huddle, and Michael, and uh, Michelangelo is like, okay, at what point did we all lose control here? Yeah. And doing the whole, the whole thing, I, I felt like that was... I liked him saying that bit about, uh, you know, maybe somebody needs to tell this guy that we're the good guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
the thing that bothered me about that scene was, uh, you know, the turtles are all about fighting as a team. And uh, they keep getting their butt kicked by Shredder because they all just keep trying to fight him one at a time. He sort of calls them out on it at a certain point. Um, I mean, well, well, he even like like there's even that part where Michelangelo and Donatello do like rock paper scissor to see who's going to try to fight him next. And it's like you idiots, just go over there, all four of you at the same time. Run at him! Yeah. <laughs> Why don't you just hit him? Damn it! Together. <laughs> Use really- your. Like, use your karate chop action. They're really, like, but probably they're aware of the law of conservation of ninja, and they know that having all four of them fight him at once will have the same, like, total effect of fighting them one-on-one. Or maybe they're teenagers. The, uh, you guys know about the law of conservation of ninja? Oh, I didn't, know. Uh, it's, it's a TV tropes thing. It's it's uh, the idea that um, it's just as difficult for... If, if, it's, if it's one hero character fighting, like, 5,000 ninja that that's way difficult, but then when suddenly it's one hero fighting one ninja, it's just as challenging. Yeah. Interesting. Anyway. I figured that's what that kind of what that was gonna be. I had not heard that specific naming for it before, but yeah. Yeah. That sounded like it was that kind of a thing. T V Tropes <laughs> is, is probably bad for us. It's not really good to try and break down storytelling and like the <laughs> art of storytelling down to mathematics of like this element here, this element there. But it is really useful for creating shorthand for certain things. Yeah. Did we basically talk about all the major characters? I mean, there's the kid, Danny. Who cares? Who really cares about Danny? The funniest thing to me about Danny uh, was that, like, at the end, after he's had this, you know, change of heart, and he's gone through... He's he's really kind of like... Well, let me think about it before I say this. He's basically the only character with an arc in the movie. Mm Mm-hmm. Because he starts off one way and ends a different way. And the turtles are basically the same from start to finish. April is basically the same character, even though she is like kind of brought into a different... She sees the world a little differently, but she is still oh, essentially yeah. the same. Um, April's problems are institutional. They're not her problems. It's the yeah. rest of the world that's like kind of not up, not with it with her, and they have to change, not her. So Danny is the only character with an arc, and I kind of feel like he was put in there maybe a little bit to be uh, like for... You know, because the turtles are there, like that's going to draw like the demo they were trying to hit. I think was they wanted the demo to be as broad as possible. It's also I feel that he was there one hundred percent for the punk arc in general. Like, yeah. or he was there to, to be hated. I completely hated him growing <laughs> up. One hundred percent might have like been a, the worst of the worst. Well, you kind of hate him for one. It's like this guy is ratting out the turtles, so I automatically hate him. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, there's no redemption for me after that. But the the funniest thing to me was just that it's like this is the only character in the movie that has an arc really. And uh, then at the end of the movie, when he sees his dad again after having been missing for a while uh, or for a couple days, it's hard to know what the timeline of this movie actually is. It's never really clear. Like the fact that then when he finally sees his dad again, and his dad is like Danny, Danny, it's Dan now, as as if we're supposed as like as if he's. The the his experience has changed him so much that now he he doesn't want to be called Danny anymore. He just wants to be Dan. Danny was oh, yeah. the punk ass oh, yeah. kid who hates his dad, and now Dan is like the I'm a grown up, and I don't I hate remember. you, but I don't have to be a baby anymore. Because yeah, I just now remember I've seen some shit, man. When we watched this the other night uh, before this, like I just remember hearing that line, and I'd forgotten about it, but it made me laugh my ass off. Um, just like what. It just seemed like the corny, like we needed to have him say something to show that something has changed or what, you know, whatever. It just was really funny to me. But I remember even as like a kid hating that kid and hating when he said that. I, I don't know. And he just, I just want to punch him in the face from a casting. He's a stupid kid. I know, like, but he has he's the that most face. Realistic, he's the most realistic teenager in the movie by far because he's <laughs> stupid. I well, mean, he's well cast in the way that, like, I don't think I've wanted to punch people more in the face than after watching that performance. Every single time I see him, I say, Mom, that is the guy I'm going to punch in the face one day. Well, you know what? You guys are probably both in Los Angeles. You're going to run into him on the street. You know, he's doing some commercial <laughs> op- some commercial audition, and you're, like, PA or whatever. You will see that guy. You will get your revenge. You will punch him in the face as if life hasn't punched him in the face enough. <laughs> It's the absolute worst thing. I used to punch my TV when he came on. Not even lying. Might have even like 
thrown things at it. Dozens of televisions thrown away in front of thrown away in front of the rubble household. <laughs> the rubble always all the CRTs just smash, smash, smash. <laughs> Do we, any, we want to talk about any last impressions here about this particular about this, this uh, first Ninja Turtles movie? Well, like my lost. final note to uh, to close me out is very. Um, I want to be pleasantly surprised. I really like the movie Jonathan Liebsman did back in like 2003 called Darkness Falls. That was an underrated, fun, kind of stupid horror movie. Uh, got seen a little bit, but um, then I saw Battle Los Angeles, and it was absolutely freaking terrible. Um, and I don't know. It's very, yeah, the Michael Bay thing and the CG thing and the nose thing. But I'm trying to le- have room to be pleasantly surprised because, I mean, Will Arnett is in it. I don't know what his kind of character is and i just kind of want to be i want to be excited i'm obviously going to be nitpicky as hell i just i just want the humor honestly you can have the ass kicking and the turtles i just want the humor it's the humor and the underbelly of the original and just the kind of darker tone that makes it still a classic and i still think it is a watchable and movie that holds up you know at the end of the day obviously you're going to have a bunch of social media they're going to throw in some dialogue about tweeting and facebooking and stuff because that happens in every single movie now but at the end of the day, we have the brand of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. They can't be rebooting and rebranding and doing all these things if they're not going to live up to it. I think they, they might have fans on the production cast, and they know what they're doing. So I'm going to give it a thumbs up. I'm going to see it the first day. We're, all three of us are going to see it the first day it comes out, but I'm going to go in with a very open mind. And this is very new for me. So <laughs> <laughs> I think that the, I, was, I was really shocked at how well this movie still held up to me and it's like there were so many things that like i said i mean i hadn't seen it in years and years even though i'd seen it like a million times as a kid and there was just so many things that i noticed and caught watching it for the first time and you know so long that i thought i'm just i'm honestly i'm shocked dylan that you didn't like it i mean because i i was watching it expecting fully to go like oh my you know just to like still enjoy it on that nostalgic level but kind of feel the whole time like i was just ready to be laughing at it and there's definitely some grown worthy things in there and there's definitely some uh dylan dylan just compares every 90s movie to blank check so can't hold up <laughs> no yeah, this I'll, I'll, be, I'll be honest though uh this 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 podcast has experienced this help because i didn't get to share the movie with anybody when i was watching it that's I was what i was alone. gonna ask you i was, I was gonna say i bet if you had watched this with like with either one of us i think you would have had a real good time if yeah. we did like a bunch of like beers and like wings and just had a tmnt night i feel like Hang you would have loved this. Raj, you just suggested that we have a TMNT night with wings. Yes, fucking, and not pizza. Fucking you pizza. see what I did there? You see what I fucking did there? <laughs> Why don't we just have fucking turtle soup at our, at our, at our party, <laughs> Fucking missing the point. <laughs> You're ruining America, goddammit. <laughs> okay. No, but I, I, I had a much better time talking about it with you guys than I did watching it, because I was watching it myself, taking notes on the computer on like a Unlike, uh, I guess it was about a week ago. It was just, it, you know, the, it, the sun going down behind me, just being like, "Oh my god, why am I doing this?" And definitely, next time, I, I would want to have, I would want to have a, a, a shared experience of the movie before I talk about it. And I, I feel a lot better about it now than I did. Well, oh yeah, definitely, definitely. I'm very happy to hear that. I'm glad we could, uh, you know, make you realize your original opinion was wrong. Oh, just so wrong. And that's that's what matters. I mean, now you just have to do TMNT two, and I mean, like if you ever think Bad Boys 2 is a bad movie, then <laughs> we're just going to have a six-hour podcast about how you are 100% wrong. <laughs> okay, well, this has, been, this has been a really enjoyable podcast episode. Yeah. I much better time doing this than I did watching the movie. Um, oh, of course. Have... Thank you so much for having us. Oh, man, thank you so much for doing the show with me. This has been a great time. It's been a blast. Um, well, yeah, cheers and me. turtle speed to you, or turtle power to turtle all of power. you. I say cowabunga, and I am out on that note. I've always been partial to cowabunga. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks, all of you guys, for listening. Thanks to my guests, Raj Ravel and Chris Haley, for being for being so helpful in improving my improving my outlook. And um, it's called uh, an attitude adjustment. Well, I will see you all with two fresh guests next week. And um, on the following episode, we are supposed to be talking about um, the uh, Marvel animated feature Ultimate Avengers. Stay tuned on Twitter. You can find me at Dylan Roth on Twitter. That's D-Y-L-A-N-R-O-T-H. Chris Haley is at the Chris Haley. uh, That's uh, the way you think you spell it. T-H-E-C-H-R-I-S-H-A-L-E-Y. 
And Raj Rebel is on uh, Twitter at RajRebel37. That's R-H-A-R-A-W-A-L-37. So you can follow us all around the internet. And uh, thanks, everybody. This has been a grand old time. Uh, Turtle Power, we'll see you next week. Supers on Screen is produced by Dylan Roth for DeadShirt.net. Visit DeadShirt.net for reviews and commentary on comics, movies, TV, music, and more. Like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at DeadShirt.net. That's D-E-A-D-S-H-I-R-T-D-O-T-N-E-T. You can find me, Dylan Roth, on Twitter at D-Y-L-A-N-R-O-T-H. Our theme music is Become the Night by Big Damn Heroes. DeadShirt.net. Consider everything. <laughs>